Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning as the choir is making their exit? Father, this morning we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the reality that you are a living, breathing God who's active in our lives, who cares for your people, for your children. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the cross. And Lord, this morning I'm praying, Lord, for your intervention in my life, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. And Lord, let them see you, not me. And Lord, we're just asking for your favor in this place this morning. And I pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, so we kind of did a bait and switch. You saw Pastor Malcolm up here, and you saw me get up, and you're like, what? Um, uh, but he is uh, here as a hope support and not a critic. We'll see what happens at staff meeting on Tuesday. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm appreciative of him being here this morning. I'm appreciative of you, and I hope you had a great holiday. Uh, we, we, uh, many of you, I know, traveled, and some of you had little kids, and that's always exciting when you have little ones and see their face and their expression on Christmas morning, see what they got. And we had a very unique Christmas this year in the fact that the very last day of Christmas, uh, or Christmas I guess the day before they got out for Christmas, what I'm trying to say, at school, the very last day, about 30 minutes before the bell rang, a little boy came and tackled my little boy and then broke my little boy's collarbone. So... <laughs> we, at first, you know, your reaction is, how dare they, you know, because you wanted to strike out, and how could they do that to my little boy? The problem is, I took him to basketball practice that night, not knowing he had a broken collarbone, and uh, so Dad of the Year Award goes to this guy, uh, making my little boy play with a broken collarbone, and uh, what, what makes it unique is the fact that uh, one of the gifts we were going to get our kids was a trampoline, so we kind of had to reevaluate what we was going to do, because how terrible would that be to wake up Christmas morning and see a trampoline, like, you can't jump on it, you're like, you get to watch other kids jump on your trampoline, um, but I hope you had a great, great Christmas and a happy New Year's coming right around the corner, this is when everybody makes their New Year's resolutions, you've uh, ate like a wild person for the last two months, and now you're making these declarations, I will get healthy, I will lose weight, uh, I want to lose 30 pounds, I have about 35 to go, and so that's what my, my ambition is this next year, is to lose some weight, and, uh, I, I'm, I, but my thing is, I figure the more weight I put on, the more dramatic my before and after picture is going to be, so that's kind of like the silver lining of all of that, if you so will. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6. Um, if you take notes, my message this morning is called Check Your Anchor. Check your anchor. I want you to look at your neighbor. We're going to do the awkward thing where you have to talk to a stranger. Look at your neighbor and say, check your anchor. That was weak. All right. You're like, I don't like these people. All right. Turn to your other neighbor. Maybe you like them better. Say, check your anchor. Okay. Good. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. It says, For when God made promise to Abraham, now I'll give you some background. It's a very simple background. This promise was a promise of a future salvation. He says there's going to be, uh, from your lineage, there's going to be a salvation coming. And so this promise, he's, 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 the Hebrew writer is referring to this, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the unchangingness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, 
that by two immutable, by two unchanging things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge. All right, that's a key part of this whole uh, scripture reading here. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, so this morning I'm going to be talking about the, the anchor of the soul. Now, now anchors are very, for, we, we live in a very uh, prominent fishing community, a lot of bass fishermen here, uh, but there's something about dropping anchor as a bass fisherman that's totally different than dropping anchor as an offshore fisherman. Uh, I come from Panama City, we do a lot of offshore fishing, uh, and, and we would go probably about 12 miles out offshore, we'd have to go very far, and we'd fish for snapper, for grouper, and for amberjack. All right, Mr. Mike Partain knows exactly what I'm talking about. All right, this is some of the best tasting, best fighting fish you'll ever catch in your life. They're so good. And so what you have to do is you go off about 10, 12, 15 miles offshore, and you find a wreck. Now, a wreck is some kind of structure on the bottom. It could be a sunken vessel. It could be some boulders and concrete that people have dropped there. There's artificial reefs. There's natural reefs. But you just can't go out there and just stop somewhere and start fishing. Now, you have to find structure. Because little, little fish hide in the structure. And where there's little fish, there's big fish, right? And so you have to go out, find where the structure is, and then you have to drop the anchor, drop the anchor because you don't want to move from your spot. Well, me and my dad would fish all the time. All the time we'd go fishing. And uh, since I'm the youngest, and obviously I'm super strong, right? And so uh, we'd go fishing, and my dad would make me the anchor monkey. All right, I would have to go drop the anchor. And then i have to... Go pull up the anchor. And it's not a big deal, except you're like 110 foot of water. And it's a 25-pound anchor. And at about three foot, you're like, mm. <laughs> you're like, you're just struggling trying to get that anchor up. And you're struggling. And what would happen is we would have to drop anchor at a spot, and you had to see how the wind was blowing the boat. So you had to drop away from the wreck, and then let the wind kind of blow you back over the wreck. And, and then you would cinch off the anchor, and you would hold position there. Every now and then, my dad would say these words. Go check the anchor. Because what was happening is now the anchor is kind of sliding on the bottom. It's not, it's not hooked in good. So he said, go check the anchor. And sure enough, the anchor wouldn't be latched on anymore. So I had to go pull up the anchor. And then he would reposition the boat. And I would have to drop the anchor. And I had to make sure it's tight. And then we would drift back over our spot. And I would tie it off on the cleat. And about 30 minutes to an hour later, he would say, check the anchor. And this was something that we did constantly throughout the day because sometimes the anchor just doesn't hold like it needs to. What is an anchor? An anchor is an agent of stability. It gives stability to a vessel. It gives stability to that which is tied to. What is a soul? In Hebrew thought, the soul was a seat of emotions. It's, it's, your, it's your mind. It's your heart. It's all those things. It's what gives a person life. And so we read in Hebrews, this writer saying to these disturbed Hebrew children, he's saying to them, there is an anchor for your soul. There's an agent of stability for your soul. And, but why were they discouraged? Remember, if, you, if I, looked, I told you there's an important phrase here in verse 18. It says, who have fled for refuge. At the bottom of verse 18, it says, who have fled for refuge. These are Jewish people who have now converted to Christianity, and they're being persecuted because of their faith. And because of that persecution, they're running. 
and they're fleeing for refuge, and they're becoming discouraged. And the Hebrew writer saying, don't be discouraged, there's an anchor for your soul. And I just want to encourage you this morning that, hey, you do not have to be discouraged, there is an anchor for your soul this morning. So these Hebrew children, let me tell you what was going on at this time. These Hebrew children were running for their lives. As, as, a, as former Jewish believers who practiced the Old Testament law, who had ceremonial laws and, and sanctuary laws and cleanliness laws, they are now forsaking all of that in pursuit of Jesus. The one whom they crucify is now who they're saying is their Savior. And this is not going well with the Jewish community. And what's happening is now these Jewish converts who are now Christians are being forsaken by their community. Their family is leaving them. Other friends are leaving them. If they have a business, that business is being boycotted. And, and now their whole livelihood is at stake for the sake of following Jesus. And they're confronted with a question. And maybe it's a question you've battled in this room right now. You're battling this question. And this is the question they're asking. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? My livelihood, my family, my friends, everything, I'm losing it all. And at the very end, all I have is Jesus. Will he be enough? Now think about that. If everything was taken from you and all you had left was Jesus, would he be enough? And this is the question that the Hebrew children are asking. This is what these Jewish, now Christian believers are now asking. Is Jesus enough? Is he worth it? Maybe you're asking that question because there's some things going on in your life. Maybe at work you are the only conservative, fundamental Christian in the place. And everyone makes fun of you. Maybe they passed you up on promotions because of your standards and your beliefs. And now you're asking the question, is Jesus worth it? Is being a Christian worth this? Maybe, maybe you get, you're questioning this because of a certain lifestyle choice that you're trying to pursue and you understand that what you want to pursue is contrary to what the Bible says. And now you're realizing, I can either do this or this and I have to make the decision, is Jesus worth it? Maybe because you feel like you're not free to live how you want to live, you feel like maybe the Bible has too many rules on you that you're asking the question, is following God worth it? There could be a whole multitude of reasons why you might be asking that question this morning. Is Jesus worth it? Is he enough? And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these, these children, to these believers. He's saying two things. If you read through the Hebrew scriptures, you'll find a multitude of things. But there's two overwhelming things that the Hebrew writer is saying. Number one, he says in Hebrews that Jesus is God. He makes that abundantly clear. He says, Jesus is God. Don't worry. Jesus is God. And the second thing he says to them is, Jesus is enough. Right. He is enough. Amen. See, I, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure if I asked you in this room, do you love God? Do you love Jesus? You would say, oh, yes. I love Jesus. He's so precious to me. I love him. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm sure if I was to poll everyone in this room, you would say, I love God. I love Jesus. Sure. But if I asked you a totally different question, is he enough? All of a sudden, you're like, well, yeah. yeah." But, But sometimes I don't think we really believe he is enough. We want Jesus plus this. Jesus plus family. Jesus plus finances. Jesus plus security. Jesus plus safety. We, we want Jesus plus something. But at the end of the day, if I was to ask you, is Jesus enough? Are you satisfied in Jesus? 
That's a totally different question than do you love Jesus? And so this Hebrew writer is writing to them and saying the Jewish believers, these Christians, were struggling with that very question. And they're asking, is Jesus enough? And the Hebrew writer comes back and says, absolutely he is. Absolutely he is. He is more than enough. He's more than enough for every struggle, every trial, every circumstance you encounter. Though you're fleeing for refuge, though your livelihood is at stake, if all you have at the end of the day is Jesus, oh man, you've got it all. That's what the Hebrew writer is trying to encourage him. He says, there's an anchor for your soul. Don't be worried about what this world throws at you because you're secure. You're stable. There's an anchor for the soul. In, in the book of Hebrews and throughout the New Testament and even in this room right now, you're going to find two types of Christians. Two types of Christians. The first type of Christian you're going to find is those that are on, on fire for the Lord. Dynamic, sold out believers for the Lord. Man, they would sell their business in a heartbeat. They would move to a different city, a different state, a different country if that's what God wanted them to do. Man, they are sold out for the cause of Christ. Man, they are gospel sharers. Man, they are, uh, they are uh, sold out for his will and, and full bought in and obedience. Man, they are going wherever God sends them. That's one type of Christian. And we see that in the New Testament. We see Stephen, the first martyr ever mentioned in the book of Acts. We see that he was willing to die for his faith. We see all the apostles willing to die for their faith. Go wherever God sent them. Sure, we see those Christians in the New Testament. But then we see these type of Christians. The ones, and this is the question that you had to confront yourself with this morning. It's because the first type of Christian viewed Jesus as an anchor. The second type of Christian is a Christian who just added Jesus onto everything else they were doing. This is what a lot of those Jewish believers that are not Christians, this is what they struggle with. They try to tack Jesus onto already some of their rituals and rules that they were following. They were just, he was just an accessory. He was an accessory. And so they were struggling with fully believing because they didn't fully commit. And these Jewish believers, these Christians were getting discouraged. And the writer of Hebrews speaks to them in a familiar way. He says, but there's an anchor. Now, this is familiar for them because they live in a fishing community. They understood what what boating terminology was. They understood what an anchor was. And so he says there's an anchor of the soul. An anchor brings stabilization. He's saying to them, I know it may seem hard, and I know you get discouraged, but there's security for your soul. And this, this promise that was given to these Hebrew believers is not just true for them, but it's true for you, and it's true for me. There's still an anchor for the soul. And even though we get tossed and even though we get thrown around and even though we get overwhelmed, there's still an anchor for the soul. But a lot of people, here's the problem. Here's why people get dismayed and and thrown all sorts. Oh, my man, I see you over there, Brett. I need you. Come up here, boy. He's like, good Lord. All right, Brett, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into, do you? That's good. That's good. I need you, though. Brett's one of our young preacher men. Got called to preach, been preaching all over the great metropolis of Addison, Alabama. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> all right, Brett, I'm your anchor. Don't bump into stuff. Dustin will kill you. All right, so I'm your anchor. See, some, sometimes people try to anchor onto money. They try to look at their finances as a place of security. But the problem with an anchor that's anchored to money is that anchor kind of moves sometimes, right? Like it just kind of drags the ground. And, and, and sometimes your money goes up and sometimes your money goes down. And, and sometimes, sometimes you can lose a job. 
Some, sometimes you lose security. Maybe you get divorced and all of a sudden you go from a two-income home to a one-income home. And, and now all of a sudden that anchor is starting to move around. And you know what happens when the anchor moves? Man, your emotions move. Your heart moves. Your mind moves. Everything moves with it because you've now attached your soul to something that's not secure. Now, my father-in-law tells this story uh, about when he was a young man, little boy, I should say, about nine years old. He tells this story about how he wanted a bicycle for Christmas. Every little boy wants a bicycle for Christmas. So he gets this bicycle. He wakes up that morning, and you know how parents do. They let you open up everything and let you be disappointed and like, what's wrong? And then they wheel the bicycle around the corner like, ta-da. And so that's what happened. That's what happened. So here comes this bicycle, man. He's excited about that bicycle, and he hops on that bicycle, and he begins to ride it. It's December, so obviously it's cold. And he says, at that moment, I felt God speaking to me. He says, touch the bicycle, Steve. And so he starts touching the bicycle, and he, he talks about how cold the metal was. And he says, Steve, do you love this bicycle? He says, oh, God, I love this bicycle. No nine-year-old boy. He says this. He's like, I, I, God was, I felt like God was communing with me at nine years old about this. He says, Steve, can that bicycle love you back? He says, no, God, it can't love me back. Here, here's the problem about anchoring your soul to something that, can, that does not have a soul. When you anchor your soul to something that doesn't have a soul, it can't help you. It can't aid you. It can't, it can't lift you up. It can't encourage you. When you attach yourself with something without a soul, how's that going to help you? So you might be thinking, well, that's fine because I don't have a whole lot of money, so <laughs> I don't anchor that. But I have a lot of relationships. And so maybe you connect yourself to some family, maybe a spouse. Maybe you put a lot of security into your spouse and your relationships. Maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe your children. Maybe you just love your children. That's your place of security. Here's the problem about that. Is you're attaching your broken, fragmented soul to another broken, fragmented soul. And you're both in the same pit trying to help each other out. And you're looking at me, and I'm looking at you, and you're saying, I thought you was going to help me. I said, I thought you was going to help me. And we're tethered together in this pit, and there's no way out. Because you've attached your soul to something that cannot help your soul. You've attached your brokenness to someone else's brokenness. How's that going to help you? And so what we need, thanks you, brother. You can take that off. Throw it over there in that corner over there. Uh, What we need is a soul that understands our soul, yet transcends our difficulties. He understands your struggle. He understands your difficulties. He understands your circumstance, but he rises above your circumstance. He's different. He's a soul just like yours, but different. How is he different? Because he's perfect and he's flawless and there's nothing wrong with him and he's perfect in every single way. He understands your struggle, but he can rise above your struggle. And when he doesn't have a broken soul, you know what that means? Is that now he can minister to your soul. And the only person I know that has a soul like that is a man named Jesus. And and this is what these, this Hebrew writer is saying, he's saying to these discouraged Hebrew children, he's saying, listen, there is an anchor for your soul, and his name is Jesus. He's unlike anyone you've ever met. There's stability, there's security there. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. And some of you in this room may be thinking, well, that's great. I understand that. That sounds good, but I'm not into this whole Jesus thing. Fine. That's, hey, that's your call. I would just encourage you to seek out someone else with a perfect soul that's perfectly flawless, that's whole in every single way, that understands your struggle yet transcends your struggle. I would encourage you to go find that human divine being that can rescue you out of the pit that no one else can rescue you out of 
I would just encourage you to go find someone just like Jesus. But I'm going to save you a whole lot of searching. I'm going to tell you there is no one like Jesus. John 3, 16, what did he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Now, this is a really awesome phrase, his only begotten. If you look at it in Greek, it means monogenous. It's one word, monogenous. Mono meaning one or only. Genus meaning kind. You know what he's saying? Jesus is the only kind. There is no one like him. He is unique. He is special. And so you can search your whole life looking for someone like Jesus, but you're wasting your time because he's the only kind. He's the only one. The only one. So how you view Jesus is going to affect two things. It's going to affect how you live. Is he, an, is, he, is he an anchor or is he an accessory? That's the question you have to confront this morning. Is Jesus an anchor for your life or an accessory in your life? Charles Spurgeon said, if our sin is small, then our Savior must be small. But if our sin is great, then our Savior must be great. And let me tell you, we have a great Savior. And so how you view Jesus is going to determine how you live. If he's an accessory, then that's something you take on and off whenever it's convenient. You put them on on Sunday, and then as soon as you get home on Sunday, you take them off. And you go live in your work week the way you want to live it, and then here comes Sunday morning, and you put Jesus back on. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of modern-day Christians, so-called Christians, believe that's how worship and living for Jesus is. You come to church, and as long as you come to church, you're doing just fine. You're doing just fine. But a person who has Jesus as an anchor for the soul is totally different. Someone who has Jesus as an anchor for the soul, every day they're strong in their faith. Every day they stand for difficult truths. Even, even, even if everyone around them is bowing down, they're standing in the gap. A person who has Jesus as an anchor for the soul, they have non-negotiables and they don't waver on those non-negotiables. They say, this is my conviction and this is where I stand and this is my anchor. If you have an anchor for your soul, that is Jesus, you'll follow Jesus no matter what the cost. Boy, it's tough sometimes, isn't it? If Jesus is your anchor, you'll love him more than you'll love your sin. If Jesus is an anchor for the soul, how you view Jesus will affect how you live. Is he an accessory or is he an anchor? How you view Jesus will affect how you worship. It will affect how you worship. A person who uses Jesus as an accessory will think that worship is just limited to that song service we have on Sunday mornings for about 10 to 15 minutes. And they think, they'll say, man, that was great worship this morning. But then they take them off the rest of the week and they wait till Sunday morning again to worship again And because Jesus has become an accessory to them. And they don't understand that if Jesus is an anchor, if Jesus is an anchor, that means everything you do is worship. How you treat people can be worship. Young men and young women, how you behave in the locker room can be worship. How you play sports can be worship. How you treat your friends can be worship. Husbands, wives, how you treat each other can be worship. How you treat your children can be worship. Everything you do can be worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31, what does it say? Whatsoever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do can be worship if he is an anchor and not an accessory. You have an anchor for the soul this morning. But here's where I struggle. Here's where I struggle. I sure wish, I sure wish it said something other than anchor. I wish he said, Jesus is a helicopter for the soul. Or some kind of Palestinian equivalent, eagle, I don't know, something like that. 
Because an anchor, that means we're not going anywhere. We're staying put. I can tell you there's been a lot of times in my life when difficulties have come and struggles have come when I really wanted a helicopter for the soul, where I wanted Jesus to come and swoop down and pick me up and move me. But instead, he drops anchor right in the middle of the storm. Man, sometimes I wish he was an airplane for the soul. We could just escape and get out of there. David wrote in Psalm 23 and verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I've always been disturbed about that phrase, in the presence of my enemies. David doesn't say you remove my enemies from my presence. He doesn't say you remove me from the presence of my enemies. He says you prepare a table right there in the middle of my enemies. You know what he's saying? You drop an anchor <laughs> right where we are. Right where we are. And, and sometimes... It's hard, it's hard to worship God sometimes when he's dropping anchor right in the middle of your storm, isn't it? It's tough. Man, it's tough sometimes when you really want to get out of there, but instead he drops anchor. Sometimes it's tough to have that, that attitude of worship and that attitude of gratitude in the middle of your storm. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 14 where we see this great storm. Jesus tells his disciples to go to the other side and he'll catch up with them later. And they're in this boat just to get in it. And all of a sudden they get into the middle of the sea and a storm starts surging and starts raging. And they're looking for helicopter Jesus. They want somebody to come over there and swoop down and pick him up and, re- and get him out of there. And here comes Jesus walking on the water to him. Now, every picture I've seen of Jesus walking on water, it looks like, like some kind of, somebody's pond in the backyard, just like walking on his bloop, 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 bloop. But the storm never stopped. Remember, he didn't stop the storm yet. So here comes Jesus walking on the water. Just, you see him dipping below the wave, and here he comes up above the waves and down the And they're watching him, like, look at that. Like, what is, is that a ghost? Like, they're, they're confused about this. And he says, don't be afraid. And I, if I was in the boat, I'd be like, make a stop. <laughs> like, you make a stop first, and then I'll quit being afraid. But here comes Jesus just to walking out there to him. And then Peter does this ridiculous thing where he says, let me come out there to you, Jesus. Jesus says, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat. Guess what? The storm slate stopped. So here goes Peter walking on the water to Jesus. And they're, they're just like little, little buoys just out there bouncing around. Here they come. And all of a sudden, Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. And, of course, Jesus comes to the rescue and picks him up, puts him in the boat, and says, why did you doubt? If I was Peter, I'd be like, why do you think I doubted? All right, I'm walking on waves in a storm. Of course, this is crazy. You, you could at least calm the storm first. Like, I, would, I mean, would you be just as impressed if he walked on calm water as he did on rough water? I would be equally as impressed. I'm like, he's walking on water either way. That's, that's a win. So I'd be like, why didn't you stop the water? See, sometimes it's hard. To trust, and sometimes it's hard to believe, even when you're anchored to Jesus in the middle of a storm. I have this young man, he was my very first youth ministry, very first youth minister that every youth pastor at. He contacted out, me out of the blue. He sent me some messages. I screenshotted it. I'm going to show him up here. I'm kind of protecting his name and everything so you don't know who he is. This is what he writes me. Have you, ever felt God, have you ever felt God abandoned you? Now, I don't know if he's looking for some kind of pastoral advice or deep theological dispute or what he's looking for. I just write back, of course. <laughs> like, 
because I'm transparent and I'm real and I'm honest. There's been times in my life I've felt abandoned by God, and maybe that makes me less than you. I don't know, but there's been times where I felt forsaken. Sure. And he writes, Andrew, it's been years. I pray, I have faith, I ask for guidance, and life just keeps getting worse. And in that moment, I realized what I should have said. Of course, this message came months later. I should have said to him, check your anchor. Because to put it in context, what has happened is this young man, his girlfriend, just broke up with him. And this was the girl he thought he was going to marry. She, he thought that she was the one. And he, she broke up with him and sends him down this spiral of depression. And now he feels abandoned by God. You know why he feels that way? Because he wasn't tethered to God. He was tethered to a relationship. And when that relationship broke loose, now he has no anchor. And that rope is just flailing around. And he has no sense of stability in his life. And now he's in chaos mode. And he's feeling abandoned by God. And he feels forsaken. And everything's getting out of control. And, and then I, I, if I was wise at that point, I would have said, check your anchor. What do you anchor to? Listen, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be easy even if you're anchored to the Lord. It's still going to be tough. There's still going to be difficulty, sure. I mean, many in this room, you can say, I struggle because, man, my family is falling apart. My marriage is crumbling. My children hate me. And they're running off a cliff, and there's nothing I can do about it. Maybe you're saying, Andrew, I keep trying to kick this addiction. I keep trying to kick this habit, and I keep messing up, and I go two weeks, and I'm good, and then all of a sudden, I spiral right back down this, this valley. And, and you're like, Andrew, I don't know why I struggle so hard. I, I believe Jesus is my anchor. I believe that I'm, I'm connected to him. I believe this. This is what the Lord taught me. <laughs> this is what the Lord taught me during this. Here's the thing about an anchor. An anchor does its work when you cannot see it. <laughs> when I'm offshore fishing and I drop that anchor 110 feet down below the surface, guess what? I can't see what it's hooked onto. I just have to trust that it's holding. Here's the thing about having Jesus as your anchor. You see the waves and you see the storm, but you don't see the anchor. And you just have to take, take full control of the reality that Jesus is working. He's an anchor for the soul. He's not moving. He is secure. There's nothing going to happen to you. You, ha- you can have faith in that. Jesus is your anchor, but sometimes it's hard because we never see the anchor working. We just have to trust that it is. You see the storm, but you don't see the anchor. So is is Jesus an accessory or an anchor this morning? If you keep on reading verse 18, he says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge, who laid a hold upon the hope set before us. These two immutable things, if you read the whole uh, section there, he's talking about an oath and a promise. This promise he made to Abraham was based on his word. His oath was based on his character. Guess what? These two things ain't going to change. They're unchanging things. He says, I've made a promise and an oath. And these, things, these two things are unchanging because they're based on my word and my character. And what was this oath? What was this promise? This promise and this oath was, was, was about security. What he's saying to these doubting Christians, to these troubled Christians, what he's saying to you, doubting Christian, troubled Christian, dynamic Christian, average Christian, you know what he's saying to you this morning? He's saying this, you're secure. Come to Christ. 
There's nothing to fear. I got you. Don't you worry. This is the beautiful thing. Here it is. Our security is not in the fact that we are not letting go of God. It's that he's not letting go of us. That's where our security is found. That's what we're anchored to. Not the fact that we're not letting go of him because so many times my, my grip gets loose. So many times my strength gets weak, but I have to depend that he's never going to get weak and his grip is never going to slip, that he's got me. That's where our security comes from. I have a couple questions this morning I want to ask you. How is your soul? How is your soul? You think, I don't even know how to answer that question, Brother Andrew. It's a weird question to ask. Is there like a test? <laughs> what, do I, what do I do? How's your soul? When's the last time you checked the anchor? What are you anchored to this morning? Are you sure you have made Christ the anchor of your soul? Or are you anchored to something else? Because a lot of times we find troubles in our circumstances because we realize we're anchored to the wrong thing. Check your anchor. Here's the second thing. Is your soul home? Is your soul home? And that's a weird question, isn't it? Like, what does that even mean? There's no place like home, man. When I, when I go traveling, when I go to mission trips, when, when I go on vacation, when I go visit family members, after a couple days, I'm missing home. Home has a smell that's unique to it. I may not like the way your home smells, but I like the way my home smells. All right? Home has a unique smell. And that's, that's what I love about home. It's, it's, it's just comforting. You walk in, there is no bed in the world that sleeps as good as my bed. I love my bed. And it might be the rattiest bed in the world, but to me, it's heaven. All right? I love my bed. And when I'm at home, I'm at rest. And here's what we find in churches today is people have a soul that's not at home. And so it's not at rest. And it's in turmoil. And it's in chaos mode. And many of you may find that your soul is restless and without peace. How do you find your soul at home? What do you do? If you read in Genesis, in the creation process, it says that God formed man. So he formed him. He put, it looked just like man. It was perfectly formed. It looked just like a man. But it was without life. Until God breathed into him life. It was the borrowed breath of God that gave this man life. And that, that word is soul. It, it talks about how he brings life. That word life means soul in Hebrew thought. And so God put the soul of man in man. And that's when he came to life. You and me, we're operating off of the borrowed breath of God. Amen. Think about that. Every exhale is a breath of God. Every inhale is a breath of God. You are living off the borrowed breath of God. So how does your soul go home? Well, you have to go to its origin. <laughs> and it originated from God. In Psalm 103, in verse 1, you, actually it's a, it's a Psalm of 22 verses. And in this Psalm you see this repeating phrase over and over again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You see this repeated throughout these 22 verses. See, I don't know about you, but I think there's something special that happens and something very profound that happens here. I believe what we see in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 22, is a roadmap for our soul to go home. Because something happens when you get into a praise service, something happens when you get to church and you start singing and you start listening to the word of God preached and all of a sudden it's like something in your soul just says, I'm home. 
when you use the very borrowed breath of God to sing praises back to Him, to ascribe worth to Him, to ascribe value to Him, when you use that borrowed breath of God to worship Him, your soul just says, I'm at home. And here's the thing. I've seen people come to church that have never been to church before in their life. I've invited people to come to church, and they've sat in these chairs, and they've sat in pews, and, and during the worship service, I look at them, and they're just a crying. They don't know God. They've never been to church before in their life, and they're just sitting here crying. You know why? Because I believe something inside of them saying, I'm at home. Your soul is at home when it's found in God. When you're in the presence of God, your soul is at home because it's found its origin and it's at rest. And all of a sudden, that restlessness and that chaos, it settles down because you have found home. (laughs) I think it's a tragedy to see as many homeless people as we do. I hate it. Man, I hate it. But you know what a greater tragedy is? To see someone, someone with a great, big, beautiful home for their body and no home for their soul. Man, that's even worse. Because I've been to some of the poorest places in the world, and I've met believers over there, and they're just as happy. Man, they smile. They're contagious. They're so, they're so happy and joyful. I met a homeless man in New Orleans that was a believer in Christ, and he looked at me, and he says, I'm homeless, but I'm not hopeless. You know, you know why he could say that? Because his soul had a home. Even if he didn't have a home, his soul had a home. And you can find rest and you can find peace when your soul has a home. So how is your anchor this morning? Check the anchor. What do you anchor to this morning? How is your soul? Is your soul at home? Verse 19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Remember earlier, I talked about how an anchor does its work where it cannot be seen. And I talked about how it's hard sometimes. And so even in Scripture, you see it says that Jesus goes behind the veil and he anchors us down. And we don't really see the anchor. We don't really see what it's connected to. But we just have to trust that it's enough. We just have to trust that the anchor is going to hold. And so no matter where I go in life, no matter what troubles I find, I'm, I'm knowing that the anchor is still holding because it goes within the veil and he makes sure that it's tight. And what we find out is that he's our forerunner. Now, this is a great word here. Man, I love this word. We're still talking about fishing. We're still talking about boating. This word forerunner, it, it implies a small vessel. This, this, the forerunner is a small vessel. What the small vessel would do is it would take the anchor and the rope of a larger vessel and bring it into harbor. Because sometimes when it gets really windy and stormy, the bigger boats couldn't navigate into the harbor. But the little boats could. And so it would take the anchor of the bigger boat, and it would bring it into the harbor, and it would secure it into the harbor, and then they would winch the bigger boat in so they can make it into the harbor safely. That's what a forerunner does. It goes before you and sets the anchor. <laughs> now, I don't know... I don't know if you're picking up what I'm putting down, but it says Jesus is our forerunner, which means he has taken the anchor to a place that we can't get to yet, but he secured it. And how did he secure it? Man, he secured it with his own blood, with his own sacrifice. Man, he secured it with the cross of Calvary. That is how he secured it. And he wrapped it up, and he made, it, he made sure 
He made sure that on heaven's shore, there is an anchor established for us. And guess what? Every day, that, that rope is getting winched in just a little bit shorter. And just a little bit shorter. And every day, I'm getting a little bit closer to heaven. And every day, I'm getting a little bit closer. And I'm getting a little bit closer to one day, I'm going to sit on heaven's shore. And I'm going to look at my forerunner and my anchor, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say, you never left me. You never forsake me. Hey, even in my dark, darkest times, my deepest valley, you were still there pulling on that anchor, pulling me in. And I didn't feel it at times, but I had to trust. I just had to trust that you were there for me. This morning, how is your anchor? Where is your trust at this morning? Is it in people? Is it in finances? Or is it in Jesus? See, our anchor this morning is not in the deepest of sea. It's in the highest of heaven. (laughs) That's where our anchor is this morning. Jesus drank a cup of wrath without mercy so that you could drink a cup of mercy without wrath. (laughs) He paid a debt that he didn't owe so that you could go free. How's your anchor this morning? Some of you in this room, you, you may not understand what I'm talking about. You've been invited by a friend. Your grandma made you come. Somebody swindoozled you to get here. Or maybe you just walked in. It's no coincidence that you're here, by the way. You are an honored guest in this place. And we're glad you're here. But you're hearing all this. You're talking about an anchor for the soul. And, and you're realizing at this moment your soul is in chaos and it can't find rest. And you've been trying to pursue other things, but you're not finding that rest and that peace like you thought you would. You get momentary lapses of peace. Sure, you get temporary relief. But after a few days, after a few weeks, after a few months, all of a sudden it's back in chaos mode. See, I want to offer you Jesus this morning. That's what I want to offer you. Now, I'm not offering you some kind of bill of goods where I'm going to say, hey, once you know Jesus, everything's going to go back to normal. Everything's going to be fine. You're no longer going to have addiction. You're no longer going to have marital problems. You're no longer... No, that's going to take time. Sure it will. What I'm offering you this morning in Jesus Christ is peace for your soul. I can guarantee you that. There's peace for the soul in Jesus Christ. So what I would love to do this morning, I would love to invite everyone to stand. I want to invite our band to come up forward and and get into position. And, and, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a, speci- a special invitation to those in this room who may not know Jesus Christ, their Savior, who you could honestly say, I, I don't have an anchor for my soul. I don't know Jesus. I, I, I'm in chaos mode. My soul is not at rest. And if that is you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to know him personally. So I want to invite all of our members to just close your eyes. This is a moment of intimate prayer between you and God. Listen, if your soul is good, man, you're thinking, I'm I'm at peace with God. I know where my soul is. I know what I'm anchored to. If that's you, I want you to start praying for the people around you. But if you're in this room right now and you would honestly say, I don't know Jesus. And I don't have peace for my soul. And I'm not anchored to the cross. And if you would honestly say, that's me. I want you to do something. No one is looking around. I just want you to slip your hand up. Is there anybody in this room that would say, that's me? I see some hands going up. I see a couple in the balcony. Anybody else? I see one on the floor. Anybody else? Here's what I want to ask you to do. This is a big request. I want you to do something brave. As our song leader will 